Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Just about a month ago, 24 of us came back from a mission trip to Cambodia. And every time I come back from a mission trip, people say, how was it? And I always do my best to answer that question. And sometimes the groups come here and we have people come in in the evening and we share a video or we share pictures and we talk about it to try to give people an idea. And usually for the next month after the the mission trip, when I'm preaching, I'll use some illustrations from the trip uh, that, that illustrate the biblical points that I'm making. But until today, I have never used a mission team as an example to illustrate an entire message. But I'm going to do that today. We're going to talk about true community. True community. We live in a world, a very high-tech world, right? A world where a bridge collapses in Italy and it's on our screens in seconds. A a world where we can literally uh, be in touch with a a children's home in Cambodia 24-7. A world where many people have hundreds of friends on Facebook who know all their business, but no friends who really know us deeply. As Pastor Mark talked about last week, if you were here, uh, we don't have seers, people who are mentors in our lives that help us with the next step, people who are keepers, people who know us deeply, who have our backs, who know every secret about us and love us anyway. We don't have compasses, people who speak into our lives prophetically, who are going to tell us the right thing to do, even when it makes us angry. But in a true community, the kind of community we're going to read about in Acts 2, 42 to 47, where Jesus Christ is at the center, everybody has a seer. Everybody has a keeper. Everybody has a compass. And not only that, over time, we become seers and keepers and compasses for others. So as we look at that, God intends for every single local church to be that kind of community. And what will happen over time, when a church begins, a church family starts, usually starts out small. But as it grows, it won't just be one community, it will become a community of communities. In a church the size of New Life, with eight or 900 people that come on a regular basis and 1,600 people that call New Life our church home, what will happen is everybody can't know everybody. But the goal is for everybody to know Jesus and everybody to be in a group, whether it's a small group or a mission team or a ministry team, where they know somebody and somebody cares. And these kind of seer, keeper, compass relationships are developing. So before we turn to Acts 2, 42 to 47, I want to share this morning's take-home point with you. If you're here for the first time, watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point in the message that we want to take home with us, obviously the name. And we want to reflect on it, pray about it, and live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. As the early church reflected God's plan for true community, so can we. When I was 17, my seer at the time, Pastor Andy Wygant, uh, I had a question for him. I said, Andy, how can you know if God is calling you to be a pastor? And he said, when God calls a person to be a pastor, he gives that person a vision of his church. I had no idea what he was talking about. But I tucked that away. And and as I kept reading my Bible, I came across Acts 2, 42 to 47. I said, here it is. This is God's vision for me, for the church. Because I already knew God was calling me to be a pastor. I didn't want to be one. That's a message for another day. But I knew that was God's vision for me, for the church. And I knew it was God's vision for the church. Because it's in the Bible. It's his written word. And so what we do as we turn to Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see what true community is and what true community does. We're going to do something this morning we used to do all the time, but we haven't done for a while. We're going to read God's word aloud together. So those of you who are able, would you please stand 
and we're going to look up on the screen, and we're going to read Acts 2, 42 to 47 aloud. Please join me. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this model, this example of what it means to be a true community of Jesus Christ. We pray today that your Holy Spirit will impress on each of our hearts, each of our minds and our spirits, what it is that we need to do in order to take one more step closer to being that true community. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So Luke identified four traits of true community. Devotion to the apostles' teaching, devotion to fellowship, devotion to sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and devotion to prayer. And as we look at verses 43 to 47, they come out of those four primary traits of the early church. Now, while we were in Cambodia... The team from New Life, which was anywhere from 24 to 27, and the reason it varied is because we had our 24 people, but we also had Faith Toomey, who's a member of New Life, who's a missionary for Southeast Asia Prayer Center in Cambodia. She joined the team most of the days. And then Pastor Matt Geppert, the president of SCAPC, who's here with us today, he joined our team most days, which was a little... uh, Probably he shouldn't have done that because there was all these other people from all over the world, but he spent most of his time with us. I understand why. But anyway, so um, then there was also Weha, who was a very important member of our team because he's a Cambodian national. He speaks Khmer, and he was our translator some of the time. So the group was 24 to 27 people, and they demonstrated these four traits amazingly and without a speck of whining. Huh. Now, those of you who come all the time know that I, I, the week before the trip, I said I wasn't really excited about going on this trip because I knew with 24 people, the ratio of whiners to people is 10 to 1, one whiner for every 10 people. So there would be 2.4 whiners on the trip. But there wasn't a single whiner, not one whiner for the 13 days of the trip. And so they shared these four traits. And I want to share that experience with you. And then I want to share how that translates into Saxonburg and the communities where each of you live and how we can live that out on a daily basis and become the true community that Jesus Christ calls us to be. So first it says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what was the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching was simply a recounting of their life with Jesus. They had spent three years, I would say invested three years of their life, day in, day out with Jesus. They listened as he taught with an incredible authority like no one ever. They watched him heal sick people, people that were blind, deaf, even dead, raise them from the dead. Watch him cast demons out of people. They saw him do amazing things like walk on water and, you know, calm storms. And they they even admit that they didn't really always get it. In fact, a lot of times they were clueless. And then they shared in detail Jesus' arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his death. And once again, they admit that when he died, they were hopeless. They thought he was the savior of the world, but then he died and they didn't 
They didn't get that. They didn't understand how is he the Savior if he's dead. And then the women came. They tell how the women came on the first Easter day and they said something incredible. They said that Jesus was alive from the dead. And they admitted that they didn't believe that. And then Jesus showed up in their midst. And when Jesus showed up in their midst alive, then they believed it. And Jesus stayed with them for 40 days. And after the 40 days, he gave them some final instructions, including this instruction. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes and then you're going to be receiving power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then he went up into heaven. And then they told about how they prayed for 10 days and how Jesus came in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And how that transformed them and the church was born. Now, how do I know that's the apostles' teaching? Because it's saved for us in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. And then they added to that in letters and other writings, which became the entire New Testament. That is the apostles' teaching. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and their community was transformed. And that has always been the case throughout history. Anywhere that a family or a community or a region or nation is transformed in a way that's blessed and better, ordained by God, it always starts with the Word of God. It always starts with the truth of God, the apostles' teaching. That's always been the case because Jesus said, if you know the truth, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It always has, and it always will. So, in the trip to Cambodia, the team, uh, every single day, devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching. How did we do that? Well, before breakfast every morning, I would share a scripture with the team, and then on the way to the children's home, in the bus ride over, I would share another scripture. And what I would do every single day is I would wake up early, and I would just simply ask God, as I went through the scripture, I'd say, which one is it that's going to be able to prepare us to serve these 400 children who are coming for a, a time of refreshment? How can we serve them best? And the theme of the kids' camp was all in. And I took that little preposition in, and it's just two, word, two letters, right? But, but what I did was I thought, where in Scripture are there statements that have in that are significant? And the first thing that God led me to remember is, in the Greek New Testament, there's two words for in, in, en, en, and ace, E-I-S. En means in, and ace means into. And um, I'm going to ask you to put that up on the screen again, because I'm lost in my document. I don't need it. Okay, so... The, the difference between in and into is incredible, and here it is. Believing in Jesus means we believe that he existed. That's all. At some point in history, there was a guy named Jesus. We believe in that. But believing into Jesus means putting our faith and trust into him. The difference between believing in Jesus and believing into Jesus is whether Jesus becomes Savior and Lord in our life or not, because he only can become Savior and Lord in our lives when we believe into him, not when we just believe that he existed. When we put our full trust and faith in him, then he becomes Savior and Lord in our lives. And one morning, as I was getting ready to share with the team, God woke me up really early, like 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and all I could think about was baptism. Baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I discerned what the Lord was telling me was that I needed to talk with the team from New Life about baptism in water and the Holy Spirit. And so on the trip over to the, uh, children's, um, the, the hotel where the children were, I shared about baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit. So afterwards, Pastor Matt was there, and afterwards, Pastor Matt said to me, oh, so you're getting warmed up for your talk tonight. I said, what talk tonight? He said, didn't I tell you, didn't anybody tell you that you're teaching the children tonight? I said, no, nobody told me that. And, and I, get, I said, I guess I'm talking about baptism. 
Now, the teaching was for the New Life team because the next day, 11 of them were baptized in water in the Sea of Thailand. But it was also for the kids because 100 of them were baptized. As, and I'm not saying as a result of what I said, as a result of the truth of Scripture. Yeah, go ahead and clap. Let's take a moment. It'll help me find my place. All right, so every day we devoted ourselves to the disciples' apostles' teaching. So how does that work here? Well, it works very easily if you join a small group because there are sermon-based groups that focus on Scripture and there are Bible-based groups that focus on the Bible. So you could focus on the Word of God every week and you're thinking, well, that's only once a week. That's not every day. Well, even though you're in a group once a week, you could decide to get together on your phones. And I know if you're like 30 and younger, you know how to do that. And you could get together every day on your phones, and you could study the Word of God together for 10 minutes. Or if you're like my age, you could do it through email, okay? Or somebody could teach me how to do it by my phone. Okay, so there's that. Back in April, starting on April 1st, as a church, you may or may not know this, we started working our way from Genesis all the way through the Bible. This is day 155. We're in Psalm 47 to 50, I think it is. Uh, 48 to 51, sorry, in Luke chapter 9. And so every day you could go to chrismarshallresources.com and you could look up the comments that I make. It's sort of like the pastor's you know, notes on what's going on in those scriptures. And then you can leave comments or questions. And if you haven't done that yet, you could get your husband or your wife to do that with you. Your family could do that. Small group could do that. Anybody, you know, two or more people. Because here's the thing. By definition, community means two or more folks who are gathered in relationship for a common purpose. Here we're talking about apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Next, they devoted themselves to fellowship. To fellowship. Fellowship means sharing their lives with each other. And in the early church, the result of fellowship is incredible. We see it in verses 43, 44, and 45. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. So the early church's fellowship was miraculous. It was just like Jesus was still there. People were getting healed of their diseases and demons were being cast out. And then it says they sold their stuff so that nobody had any need. And think about this. There are landowners, wealthy landowners who had slaves. The landowner and the slaves became Christians. Now they're brothers and sisters. And so the landowner shared his stuff. Some of the slaves shared their stuff. Everybody in between. And, and people get caught up in this. They go, well, if everybody sold everything they had, then the next day, what did they do? Well, obviously, everybody didn't sell everything they had. Some people sold everything they had. Some people sold some of what they had. But here's the point. They learned something crucial. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. You see, when I was growing up, I've told you this before, but I never had trouble loaning my brother Ken's bicycle to somebody because it wasn't mine. So if, if somebody said, can I borrow your bike? Sure, that's not my bike, but go ahead, right? But now that I've grown up as a Christian, I understand something. My bike isn't my bike. My car isn't my car. My house isn't my house. My stuff isn't my stuff. It's all God's stuff, and he's entrusted it to me for a time. If you don't believe that, fast forward in your mind 100 years. Who will that stuff belong to? Not me. I won't need it. Right? But during our lifetimes, God entrusts stuff to us so that we can share it with each other. And I saw that happen so many times on the trip to Cambodia. One of our team members, Dave Neese, suitcase did not arrive in Cambodia when we did. In fact, it didn't arrive for three days. So Dave didn't have his stuff, right? So what happened? Well, people on the team said, here, you can have a shirt, you can have pants, whatever. It was the guys that did that. I'm thankful for that. So anyway... <laughs> 
Um, so anyway, I saw when, you know, people got hungry and everybody took snacks because I told them the food's, I almost said a word I shouldn't say there. It's not that good, okay? So food's not that good. So people took snacks and we shared our snacks with everybody. We shared our bug spray. We shared our hand sanitizer. We shared our sunscreen. Everything was everybody's. Nothing was mine. And then we went to the children's home in Rancor, and there were nine children who didn't have a bicycle. And so somebody said, let's just, you know, let's have an offering. And so we took an offering, and there was enough money to buy nine bicycles, as well as a motorized wheelchair for the little guy who was in a wheelchair. And he has to ride that wheelchair a quarter of a mile to school every day. And now he has a motorized wheelchair. And, and other things like that. Every single time a, a, you know, a need came up, the team just donated money, and there it was. And you say, well, of course they did. It was a mission trip. You know, they took that money to give away. Well, yes and no. Yes, people took money to give away. But some of the money that they donated was money that was for emergencies, money that was for souvenirs, money that was to buy meals in the airport and stuff. And the thing is, we gave all that money away to meet the needs of the people there and to meet each other's needs. And when the time came to have a a meal in the airport, I ate in Burger King in three different countries in two days. How wonderful is that? Okay, just saying. So anyway, that is the kind of stuff that happened. And you say, well, can that happen here in western Pennsylvania? Not only can it happen here in western Pennsylvania, it does. Every single day, you all come on a weekend, you bring your tithes and offerings. We take those tithes and offerings and we distribute them in many different ways. Most recently, to buy backpacks and school supplies for children in our church and in our community who wouldn't have had backpacks and school supplies. We use them to help people that you know, lost their job who need their utility bills paid for. We do that through greatest need. We use, uh, actually on, uh, what's the thing called? Mingle on Main. We give away free snow cones. You know, and we won't even take a donation if you want to give it to us. Because God has blessed us and we want to bless other people. And so when we do that, what happens is true community develops. And that's what the early church did. So what about the miracles? Well, we've seen miracles here at New Life. We've seen miracles in mission trips. We've seen miracles in small groups. And the thing is, uh, I'm going to go back. This is sort of a miracle. And it's actually a sharing of generosity in a small group. I was in a small group, men's group. And one of the guys in the group said, you know, my car got smashed by a deer, and I have to get a new car. And I found this car just like the one that got smashed by the deer. But the difference between the insurance, you know, it, it doesn't make it all up. And so I'm a little short. And he didn't say how short he was. He just said he just needed a little bit of money. So another guy in the group comes to me and says, Pastor, the Lord laid on my heart to give this to, you know, to help the guy out, the brother out. And so he gave me the money. I call up the brother. He comes in, sits down in my house, actually. And I said, hey, here's a, here's a gift. It's from one of the, the members of the group. He wants to help you out right now. And uh, it was the exact amount he needed. The exact amount. I call that a miracle, you know, that we would be generous. But I'm talking about a different kind of miracle. When uh, Ken Nelson stood up here a month or so ago and shared that he was going to go to the doctor after he had had a growth removed from his leg to have the stitches out. And he woke up that morning, well, a couple mornings before, <laughs> and the stitches were gone. Everything was healed. Those are the kind of things that happen in the early church, and they happen in the church of Jesus Christ in the world today when people devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. I believe we're going to see more and more of that happening here at New Life as we become more and more that true community that God created us to be. The next thing it says is, they devoted themselves to sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper. So in the early church, people came together after work. 
and they ate dinner together, and then they had the Lord's Supper together. And picture this. Landowners and slaves are coming together. They're sharing their food, and they're eating together. Now, I can really picture that because when Nancy and I were in seminary decades ago, we would come home. She'd come home from work. I'd come home from study. There'd be two or three other couples coming into the apartment complex and would say, what are you having for dinner tonight? And we would share what we were having and we'd say, well, why don't we get together? And we'd put it all together and we would eat, you know, in, in community. It was incredible because the food tasted better and, and there was more different kinds of stuff than you're ever going to get in your own house. And the fellowship was fantastic. That happened on the trip. I mean, every day we ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. And there were 24 to 27 and even more as we gathered around tables. Of course, no table was big enough for all that. So we were sitting around in different places, in a restaurant or at the hotel, wherever. And as a pastor, there's nothing better than sitting there just listening to the various conversations, some serious, some humorous. And, and, and the community was growing and developing in that context. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't eat everything that they serve in Cambodia. In fact, I don't eat a lot of stuff that they serve in Cambodia. So a couple of days, I took one of the guys from the group. We got on a tuk-tuk, and when, while they were eating whatever they were eating, um, all the kids and all everybody else, we went to Mike's Burgers. It's the closest thing to Burger King you can get in Seanookville. And, uh, so we, and we had burgers, and they were good burgers. They tasted like American burgers to me. Anyway, even in that, com- in that situation with just two of us, he and I would share our lives, and we got to know each other. There's true community developed in that little two-people group. And here's the point. How easy that is to do here. In small groups, we can do it certainly. We can, and, and, and the thing is, here at New Life, we plan everything, and it's good to plan everything. But you don't even have to plan in order to have lunch or dinner with somebody. All you have to do is find a couple people, uh, uh, you know, small group, like your small group people, or just some stranger, and you say, hey, you want to go to lunch? And the thing is, it's so much easier than it was in the first century. Can you say Burger King? Right? I mean, just got, you don't even have to cook. Right? It's amazing. So, what about the Lord's Supper thing? It said they ate meals together and the Lord's Supper. Well, the Lord's Supper was shared at every meal. And here's a secret that isn't a secret. Many years ago, here at New Life, we developed a guide for celebrating the Lord's Supper in small groups and in your families. Because we read the Bible and it said that they shared meals together, including the Lord's Supper. And so we wanted to make it possible for people to feel free to celebrate the Lord's Supper in their families and in small groups. And as we do that, what happens? We remember what Jesus did for us. We are committed and dedicated to him more because we realize on a, could be a daily basis, what he did for us. And our fellowship and our community grows in that situation and in that environment. Now, it says in verses 46 and 47a, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. I love every word of those two verses. It says they met every day in the temple, so they gathered in large groups, as we do on the weekends, for worship. Then it says they gathered in small groups to have meals together, including the Lord's Supper. They welcomed everybody who came. It didn't matter who you were. You were welcome in the group. And then it says, what did they do? It says they did it with great joy and generosity. Think about this. Let's say six of us go over to Burger King for lunch, and we're sitting around the table, and we're laughing, and we're having a good time. The people that are watching, are they going to say, whoa, it must be a bunch of Christians? No. They're not going to say that because Christians don't have fun together. That's what they think. 
right? Must be a bunch of what? I don't know. But it won't be like the first thing you don't fill in the blank with. They're having fun, so they must be Christians. No, they are having fun, so they must not be Christians. Right? Wrong. See, we are supposed to have fun together, joy, generosity. When we're done, if it's not Burger King, you know, it's like a place where they actually give you a bill and they come take it up. You give them a 30% tip. You know, my two daughters, older daughters, used to be waitresses, and they would come home with tracks from Christians, and they would throw them in the garbage, and they would say, $20 bill might have made me read this one, but I already know Jesus. What if you don't know Jesus, and somebody gives you a track without any tip? I'll give you a tip. That's a bad idea. Okay, I got quiet. Okay, start talking about that kind of stuff. All right, so anyway, anyway. I don't want to, I stay focused, Chris. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> when we were there in Cambodia, this is the verse, this is the part of the verse I love the best. They had the goodwill of all the people. At the end of that week of kids' camp, the, the manager of the hotel came to Pastor Matt and said, Hey, we're going to do something. We've never really done this before. We're going to give you back a portion of the fee you paid because we have seen you love these children. They're not your children. These are Cambodian children. And you're from America, and you're from Canada, and you're from England. You're from Singapore. You're from all over the world. But you came to minister to our children. We don't get that. Nobody does that. You see, but people who act like Jesus do that. And when people get together in a large group of people, and they act like Jesus, people watching love it. In fact, I would say the goodwill explodes. Literally, in some cases, can you say July 3rd, fireworks at New Life? You see, more than a couple thousand people watch the fireworks. When I'm introduced to somebody in the community now that doesn't know me, and they say, Pastor Chris, New Life, oh, that's the firework church. I'd rather be known for being the Jesus church, but the firework church says goodwill, right? Okay, finally, it says, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Everything starts and ends with prayer. Prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. The early church prayed. When Jesus went back to heaven, the early church prayed for 10 days. 10 days. And then the Holy Spirit came. And then when did they pray? They didn't pray just to, you know, say a little thing at the meal or just to say a little thing at church to get on with the important stuff. What they did was they prayed when they were persecuted. They prayed when they were joyful. They prayed when they um, were grateful. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And when the team was in Cambodia, we got up in the morning and we prayed with each other. We prayed on our own. We prayed in small groups. We prayed for the children. We prayed for the leaders. We, We even prayed for the guy who served us the pizza at the pizza place the last night. Now, what about that? You know, I had gotten intimately acquainted with this pizza guy because two nights before I had ordered some, like five pizzas, no, four pizzas. Then the next night I ordered eight pizzas. And the next night, well, even that night he goes, well, is it 16 tomorrow? You know? Uh, uh, and, but anyway, the third night we were done with kids camp and we were celebrating. So the whole team comes together where? Around a meal because that's what you do when you're true community. You get together and you celebrate around the meal. And we're having pizza. And so I walk up to the guy and I said, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he said, oh, I'm Buddhist. Okay, you're a Buddhist. I still want to tell you about Jesus. So we talk about Jesus for a while. And at the end, he, was, he, he had heard about Jesus, but he was not having Jesus that night. But I said, could I pray for you? He goes, sure. Hardly anybody, you know, refuses prayer. And when we pray together, it shows people that 
Jesus is in our life, or it shows us at least that we're concerned about them. And so they prayed together. That's what they did. And as a result, their lives were changed. And I believe as we pray more and more and more together and with others, we will see this true community. We already have it. We will see it grow even deeper. And so if you will notice, there was an underlying word throughout the message. The underlying word was devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Devotion is a profound dedication or consecration. It's the earnest attachment to a cause or person. Devotion is strong. It runs deep. And the early church was devoted to Jesus, and they were devoted to each other. Now, here's the interesting thing. The night before Jesus died, he said something incredible. He said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say, by this will all people know you're my disciples if you love them. He said, by this will all people know that, you have, that you're my disciples if you love each other. Because what's happening is the world is watching. And they are watching us. And, and what they want to know is, does it make any difference that Jesus is in the center of your life? Does it make any difference that you're Christians? Does it make any difference that you're in community? Because we all talk about community. In this culture, we talk about it all the time. It takes, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, right? We say that all the time. But there's never been a more fractured society than the one in which we live. And people are looking. They're, they're literally dying for true community. And we are it. In fact, in the early church... What happened was the people on the outside watched and they said, we've never seen anything like this. Slave owners and slaves, they love each other. They care about each other. They're meeting each other's needs. There's still never been anything like it. Nothing on earth matches the church of Jesus Christ when we're being the church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it on the planet. That's God's plan. That's Jesus' plan. When he went back to heaven, what did he leave? The church. Man, I'm getting goosebumps. You know what I'm saying? This is what it's all about. So here's the commitment for today. And actually, it's a commitment for the whole fall. It's a little bit longer commitment than usual. So here it is. I will plug into true community every week this fall. I will plug into true community every week this fall. Look up there. See, there's a word that's underlined. It's a very small word, I. Notice what it doesn't say. I will wait for someone to plug me into true community every week this fall. It doesn't say I will wait for somebody else to do it. It says I will. It means that you and you and you and you and you and all of you and me will commit ourselves to plugging into true community, either through a small group or through a ministry team, or we're going to sign up for a mission team, or we're going to take our family out and study the Word of God and do those things, these four things. It's just these four things. We're going to do them together, and as we do those four things, that true community will develop, and people outside. Here's the cool thing. I skipped over this part. It's the last half of the verse. It's so important. The last half of the verse says, and the Lord added daily to their fellowship those who were being saved. Because the Lord entrusts people's lives to churches that have true community because he knows it's best for them. And so the church will grow that is following Jesus Christ and loving him and loving each other and doing all these things we're talking about. And the church will grow. I've had people over the years, not so much anymore, but I used to have people say, oh, don't you think the church is getting too big? No, because there's four billion people that don't know Jesus. So if there are 4 billion people that don't know Jesus, the church is not too big. If you like a small church, join a small group or ministry team. And then come to the big church for your message and your worship 
and be part of a community that changes everything. So, the commitment I will plug into True Community every week this fall. And so it's on you every week this fall. And I don't want to hear a speck of whining. Amen.